0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Hello, my friends. I know it's been a while. I'm sorry for the delay. I've been working really hard getting things together for the online course and the May workshops, but now everything is taken care of and we will be back to our regular weekly programming. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we conduct negotiation and conflict management workshops that make difficult conversations easier. You can either request a customized workshop for your company or attend one of our many upcoming public workshops. In May, we're going to have workshops in Columbus, Miami and Los Angeles. Visit our website or check out the description of this episode to learn more. Our guest today is Mary Beth Storjahan. She is the founder of Workable Wealth and is an author, financial planner, and accountability coach working to help clients in their 20s through 40s across the country make smart, educated choices with their money. Today, we had Mary Beth on the show to talk about how she influences and persuades her clients to make those smart, educated choices with their money. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Mary Beth, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Kwame. No, it's my pleasure.
0: It's great to have another uh, financial mind on the podcast. I uh, realized in the first couple of years that we had a dearth of uh, financial planners and advisors on the show. So I'm really excited to have somebody like you, and especially given the fact you have such a great podcast, come on the show and share a little bit of your wisdom with us. Thank you. So how about you get us started by telling a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Let's see. Okay, a little bit about me. I am a financial planner. I am a CEO, certified financial planner of Workable Wealth. I launched Workable Wealth as a virtual financial planning company about five years ago. I'd spent 10 years in the industry prior to launching, basically working with those in their 60s and 70s and helping them transition into retirement and The whole premise about Workable Wealth came around. I really wanted to help our generation. I wanted to help my generation. I felt like there was such a need for unbiased advice, and there wasn't really a way for me to do it in the industry at the time. When I was launching Workable Wealth, the general consensus from the financial services industry was that millennials didn't want the advice. And so I said, ha ha, let me show you. (laughs) And and my husband was in the Navy at the time. We decided while he was floating in the middle of an ocean, uh, deployed that over email that I would uh, leave my job and launch this firm. And so that's kind of how that started. I also have two little kids. The company has evolved over time. I have clients all over the country. We do comprehensive financial planning. We have a team of three of us right now. And. Yeah, I work with a lot of women, entrepreneurs, young families, military clientele as well, because my husband was former military. I just know that language and live in San Diego and have been blessed to be able to do the podcast book. And there's a lot of media stuff that's come along too, just because, hey, people do want advice from this generation. So that's a win. Fantastic. That is exciting.
0: And one of the things that I wanted to Talk to you about was persuasion when it comes to your clients, because for me, as an attorney, when I was practicing, I was really surprised to find out that i <laughs> I spent most of my time negotiating with clients more so than opposing counsel and, and that caught me off guard so I'm really interested in digging into the to the psychology of persuasion uh, within your industry so what would you say are the three things that you like to keep in mind when it comes to persuading your
1: clients so I know we talked about this a little bit beforehand, and now that I'm thinking about it, there's two different types of persuasion. There's the persuasion of, I guess, two sets. One, I'm persuading them to work with me, right? So there's that that, we, that persuasion that I do there. Once we're engaged, there's just like the one mindset. It comes in like two phases. So the persuasion, the, the few things that I'm focusing on when I'm first selling them on the process of, hey, you need financial planning, here's the value, and here's why you need to make these changes. The three things that we're focusing on is there's a question I ask them, there is the way that I explain the process to them, and then we're going to dig into like identifying money mindsets and money blocks that they might have. Those are the three big picture things that I'm focusing on when I'm convincing them to also to work together. And then the persuasion of actually implementing and making changes comes over the longer term as well.
0: I like that, and I can appreciate the distinction because it's of course, we're playing to the same uh, psychological foundations there when it comes to getting them to change their behaviors in some way. But kind of understanding that distinction of what minor tweaks is required and at what point in the relationship is really important.
1: Right, exactly. And so do you want to, so let's dig in first to you know how I talk to them about working together and what that process is for the persuasion. And then we'll talk Absolutely. about how we actually get them to change. So the interesting thing that I have found Within the financial planning industry, and I'm sure if you've had other financial advisors on here, the sales, and I use finger quotes, the sales process, the persuasion process of engaging new clients, what I have been taught in the books that I have read, there there are a variety of different ways to go about it. And I'm constantly coached and advised on different things to do, but I've actually found that my process works out pretty well with the age group and the target market that I have. So my target market is we're talking 30, 40 something. The women in the relationship are the ones who are mostly coming to me in the first place. They're the, you know, the breadwinners or they manage the household finances. And so I have found that this process actually works quite well with them and getting them to work together. And so it starts with I lay out, I do a 30-minute consultation call. They book a call at a time that's convenient for them. So number one, take down the barrier there. It's easy to schedule online, so no no back and forth through email. Once we get on the call, I basically kick off the call with saying exactly what they can expect. We're going to spend 15 to 20 minutes up front talking about you. I'll spend 10 minutes talking about me. I'll wrap up with at least one thing that you can do to improve your situation, whether or not we're fit to work together. So right there, I say what I'm going to do, and then I do what I say. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> it. Like no and so. And then from there I let them talk. I let them spend 15 to 20 minutes talking. And it's about, you know, and I ask some pointed questions about finances and about account values and goals and things that are stressing them out. And when they're done talking, before I transition into how I work, I ask the following question. And this is step one of the persuasion. I ask the question. If we were talking three years from today, what would have had to happen personally, professionally and financially in order for you to be happy with the progress that you've made? And then I shut up and I tell them, especially those both sides of the couple are on the phone. I say you each get to answer. Either one of you can go first. And then it's usually a. You go first, I go first. Mm-hmm. And so the answer, and it's really, it provides some insight because we're spending time talking about things that might be stressing them out, or we're talking about numbers and account values. But when you talk about the personal, the professional, the financial, I usually get some additional information that they had not shared that a business is, they want to launch a business. They want to pay off a mortgage. They want to move. They want to be able to spend more time with their family. They want to get a promotion at work, whatever it is, those the financial personal and professional that's coming out. That's kind of like a brain dump of the things that are on their mind for the more immediate future. So then I know with that information, I also repeat it back to them. And I ask, is there anything else you'd like to add? so I give them each a chance to answer the questions. And then from there, I'm able to launch into the framework. And that's step two is laying the framework and discussing the accountability. And so I share a very detailed version of our process. And so I have found... A lot of people are like, oh, just focus fully on like what brings you in here and spend thirty minutes digging into their pain points. And like that just, you know, I can do that, but like nobody's got time for that in this generation. You know, like mm-hmm. and they have questions looming about everything else going on. And so the benefit that I have is that I do comprehensive financial planning. I'm talking to you about your, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, I'm talking about your business as well. If we're talking about investments, we're talking about retirement, we're talking about college savings. So we're gonna talk about it all. And my clients, people who do find me, who I want to work with, know that. And they need that. They have questions kind of floating around about everything. And a lot of people are moving in the right direction. They just don't have a wrap around it where they actually have a clear-cut strategy that's propelling them forward. So that's where... Once I have that, the answers to that three-year question, I go into, here is our exact process. And without giving you like the whole detail of <laughs> all of that. And then I go into, okay, here's the process, the exact process. Like we work together. We have an intake meeting. We have a plan meeting. We create the plan. We deliver the plan. You get a checklist. So this is the thing as, as a CFP, we cover investments, goal planning, cash flow, debt, taxes, retirement, insurance, estate planning. All of those things are covered in this plan, which is overwhelming as all heck. This is why I launched my business. Like, it's overwhelming as all heck, and I can give somebody a plan, and the likelihood of them doing it on their own without the accountability piece is very slim. The accountability factor is huge, and so I explained that to them. You know, we're going to hold you accountable, too. If you want to leave your job, you know, we're going to set a timeline for that. That's going to be part of the action checklist. I'm going to help you check in if you're trying to launch your business. Do you have that plan ready? Have you gotten your tax ID number? Are you stashing away into your startup fund? If, you know, saving for college is important, have you started that 529 plan? And so going back to that three-year, the answer to that three-year question as part of the process i can explain to them that you know we're going to craft this plan and it's going to answer all of those questions and then some and when they're ready to make these transitions and changes we're going to have prepared them they're going to feel even more empowered going into it because instead of scrambling or guessing or hoping and wishing that things work out like they're going to know that they've done exactly what they could to prepare themselves in the best way so the accountability part of what we do is a big persuasion point for my clients a lot of these people you know, there's this whole like news segment that goes around saying millennials are like 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. People are scared of the stock market, are scared to invest and are and scared of things. And, and I have found that a lot of people are just uneducated with their money. They're not scared of taking action. They just don't know how to take action. The then step two is the laying the framework and the accountability. And then number three is where we kind of dive into the money mindsets. So should I jump into that side too?
0: Jump into it, and then we'll come back, circle back, and and hit everything.
1: Okay, perfect. So the money scripts, and money mindset, money scripts, and so they kind of go together. So money scripts are basically your unconscious transgenerational beliefs around money. So these things are developed during childhood, and they actually drive our adult behaviors. So, for example, part of my story is that I grew up in a family that lived paycheck to paycheck, we're full Italian. I say we talked loudly about money as I grew up, which means,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So there's, there's a lot of loudness around finances and I grew up with like, you know, there was like a scarcity mindset there. So therefore, even as a financial planner, I talk openly that, you know, that's my fear is it's called like bag lady syndrome. They all end up, you know, on the streets, like living out of bag and running out of money. Mm. So therefore, I have tendencies to, you know, hoard cash in different places you know or, hoard, you know, keep money in like different accounts because like that's the thing I do. So depending on how you are exposed to finances while you were growing up? Like, did you get an allowance? Did just your dad pay for everything? Did you have to ask for things? Were you automatically just given things? Did parents fight about money? Did people avoid money talks altogether? Those things, how we're exposed to finances, those things that we saw, we actually carry those beliefs with us and they actually translate to some of our adult actions. So We start to dig into that a little bit as well and understanding the mindset and the behaviors. There's a lot of people when we're doing these calls, there's a lot of guilt and fear and anxiety around money, especially with women. I work with a lot of women. Lots of shame, lots and lots of shame around money. And so what I try to do there is basically say... It's normal to feel the way that you feel. It is normal to have this anxiety. It is normal to, like, you know, feel like you've made a lot of mistakes because money is like such a taboo topic. Nobody, nobody even talks about. You wouldn't talk about it. you feel shame around things. You just carry that around with you. And so I try to normalize their feelings, not their behaviors. I try to normalize their feelings. And let them know like, hey, you're making the great first step or hey, you're actually doing things, you're doing things great as it is. Like I said, you're moving in the right direction, we just need to actually put a better strategy in place so that you can actually see real progress along the way and not feel it like you're just making little steps. And so There's lots of different money mindsets that we can dig into, but addressing those money scripts and some of the money mindsets that will have come up throughout that conversation is how we wrap it up. That's step number three, and then it's, you know, are you ready to move forward, or should I send you a follow-up email and let you think about it? That's basically how it goes.
0: Hey, everyone. I just wanted to pop in and remind you that we have negotiation and conflict management workshops coming up in Columbus, Miami, and Los Angeles. And
1: now, back to the show. Hey, I'm Michael Kovnat, host of The Next Big Idea Daily, The show is a masterclass in better living from some of the smartest writers around. Every morning, Monday through Friday, we'll serve up a quick 10-minute lesson on how to strengthen your relationships, supercharge your creativity, boost your productivity, and more. Follow The Next Big Idea daily wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's chief product officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products, We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. This is great, and I'm really excited to dig deeply into this because I think there are some points of brilliance that some of the listeners might have missed, so I'd like to dig into a few of these areas. The first one is the elimination of barriers. This is something that you mentioned at the beginning when it came to scheduling, but I think it's incredibly important whenever we are trying to get somebody to take an action there's going to be a part of their brain that is coming up with numerous reasons not to change their behavior and take that action and every little barrier that is in place they'll use that as an excuse not to take action and so early on in the conversation you said that when it comes to scheduling we do it online because oftentimes we're dealing with millennials who are dual income earners so we have to get two schedules on the same uh, at the same time that's difficult and so you just say all right we're not going to meet in person we're going to meet online and with regard to scheduling you don't go back and forth with emailing which could take days or weeks, depending Mm -hmm. on what you're dealing with, you simply send them the schedule, which gives them more control. And when it comes to the decision-making process and uh, the alleviation of anxiety, the perception of control is critical. And you are giving it to them early in a way that eliminates barriers, which increases the likelihood of you getting that meeting. So before we even get into the rest of the persuasive tools, the way that you even get them to the meeting in is in itself persuasive.
1: Exactly. I made that switch early on in my business. I think probably six to 12 months in, I switched to the online scheduler and my lead conversion went way up. I mean, just in terms of the emails back and forth, I saw what a hassle it was. And the minute... I set that up, the bookings. They it, And people, you know, and it, it does, it takes down that barrier. And you wonder if people cancel a lot and they don't. I mean, once it's booked, and I also have a question, a small, like short questionnaire where they can share a little bit about their financial details and what they're looking for. It's almost like a safe space where they can put it all out there, like send it in and, let, and forget about it for a few weeks. That's, you know, it's already all like kind of laid on the table. So I can go into the meeting better prepared to, as opposed to saying, hey, please gather, you know, the old school way in the industry is please gather your statements, come to our office office. We'll shuffle through the papers together. Again, nobody has time for that. Nobody has time for that anymore. So this makes it so much easier.
0: Absolutely. And I do the same thing with my emails with clients or connections. It's a lot easier for both people. And the one that I use is Calendly, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. I know you use a different one. What's the one you use?
1: I use Schedule Once, and I've started doing it that way because my practice has grown so much that, uh, Calendly doesn't give it, I love Calendly. It's so much prettier. It uh, does not give it the option to request times. I believe Calendly, like you just automatically book. And so right. schedule once allows somebody to request it and then I still have to go in and approve it or my assistant goes in to approve it. So there's a little bit more control.
0: I like it. That's smart. Another thing that you mentioned is trust. You said it in passing, but I really wanted to dig into this one too, because you said, I tell them what we're going to do on the call and then I do it. And that's so important because really when it comes down to trust they're asking themselves are you going to do what you say you're going to do and if you do that it increases trust think about it like an an investment in your relationship bank account but if you don't do it It decreases trust, so you are making a withdrawal in the relationship bank account. And that simple practice of consistently showing up and doing what you said you're going to do, even in something that seems relatively minor, it is critically important when it comes to the relationship building process, especially in the early stages. And that foundation of a strong relationship puts you in a better position down the road to then convert them to a client when you are asking them to do something else or change their behavior. Exactly. That's exactly it. And then later on, you said that when you have the conversation, you ask the question and then you just listen, and which is great. But then you do the expert level listening where you then prove to them <laughs> that you were listening. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I know it's sometimes frustrating when... You do such a good job of listening. You allocate so much emotional, not emotional, cognitive energy toward listening effectively and you do and you understand it. But then the other person doesn't give you credit. It's like, well, I I was listening. I really was. (laughs) But they don't believe you. (laughs) And so by taking the time to then repeat what they said back to them, you're adding points because they're saying, oh, Mary Beth actually did listen to me. She's not just asking. These aren't just set up questions. She genuinely cares. And again, making deposits into the relationship bank account. And I think it's really smart that you have, if it's a couple, you have the husband and wife answer separately. I think I have an idea why, but I want you to answer it and then I'll add on.
1: The big oh, the big thing is that it's very easy to say ditto what they said or it's also very easy for it to become biased, right? Like some people are afraid to talk. So it's usually the more timid one, the last to speak first. I'll say either can go first or I'll pinpoint one of them, but it's very easy for it to become skewed. And it's also a lot of the times they haven't had these conversations on their own. So instead of one person speaking for the family, I like to have both invested because I want both sides to become empowered around their finances and to feel in control of things and and comfortable starting to talk about money. So I ask both for a lot of different reasons, but it's just like to get that. It started. Take a step. Start talking about your money. Take action there because even though it's scary and you can tell, I can tell they're uncomfortable. When I read their answers back, and the thing about this question is that it becomes the foundation of actually our, our work together. Those answers come up again and again throughout the financial plan, throughout our six-month reviews. Those answers are what we're checking back in with. So it's the best way for me to get to know them. But it's also I want them to start getting comfortable talking about money in a safe place together, whether it's to me or to each other they're sharing it in an open and safe place. And that's usually why it's, you know, and I want them to have a feel for that's what this will be with us working together.
0: That's brilliant. And one of the things you mentioned earlier is that you want to have the more timid one speak first. So two questions there. How do you identify which one is more timid? What are the tells that you see? And then the second one is I want you to make it explicit for the audience why you do that, because I love this point.
1: Typically, one person will take over in the conversation if both are on the phone call. The person who typically manages the finances or is in in more control in that area will do all of the talking. And the initial talking in that 15 to 20 minutes is, tell me about yourselves, what do you do for work, what's your income, what, you know, account me family, you know, account values, those sort of things the person who's doing all the talking is not the timid one. (laughs) That's basically Mm -hmm. it. So if somebody has been quiet the whole time, I automatically peg them first to talk about their goals because I want them to share. There's going to be some interesting and new information that they're going to share with me than this other person has. And so I identify them first because again, if the other person is talking, if the person who's dominated the conversation, you know, not they dominate, but dominated, but dominating the conversation, if that person goes in first, the likelihood of the more timid person feeling safe enough to share their real, open, honest opinions or goals decreases. So I want them to feel, again, that they are recognized and that builds my trust, with their trust with me, right? I know they're quiet. I want them to be able to trust me. Never mind this other person who, like, you know, I want the quiet person to feel empowered around their finances. And that stems from my my 10 years in the industry prior to launching workable wealth was where you know these 60 70 year old couples would come in the man would do all the talking and the woman would sit quietly next to them And then there's articles in the industry about, you know, women leave their advisors after things happen, you know, after husbands pass away and that sort of stuff because the women aren't really addressed. And so if it is the woman who's more timid or even the husband, in some cases, I will call out that person because I want them to know this is a safe space and their needs and concerns will be addressed as well.
0: Right. And what this comes down to is, well, two things. It's trust, getting a deeper level of trust with both of the partners. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is you're getting higher quality information. In my book, I talk about the light theory of negotiation and the fact that we try to turn on the lights in all of these negotiations through asking questions and getting information. And through getting the information from the timid person first, you're giving them the space to talk and you're getting higher quality information, which allows you to do your job at a higher level. Exactly. What's interesting, too, is the fact that the solution comes pretty deep into the game, and that's your framework. And I think this is critical, too, because what you're doing is you're sequencing this procedure very, very knowledgeably, in a very persuasive way, because you're first building trust and building a relationship and making those deposits into the relationship bank account. And then you're getting great information. And when you have that information, it's only at that point that you produce the solution or provide them with the solution. Correct. Even if you can see early on what the solution is, it's beneficial because they feel like they, again, have more control over it because they've been heard at this point, which makes them more likely to then accept the solution as
1: valid. Exactly, exactly. I mean, a lot of people... Just want a safe place to talk about their money, especially because money, again, like I said, it's such a taboo topic. And I talk about this in my presentations. People will talk openly about the number of partners they've had in bed before they share the number, you know, the balance of their bank account with somebody, with a stranger. You know, um, it's it's just that uncomfortable for people. So if, even if it's fifteen, if I can provide fifteen minutes of safe space for them to kind of share or, or go on their tangents and redirect them just to try and get to the root of things, they appreciate that, and I appreciate that they trust me enough to do that.
0: And now when it comes to the last step, when we're talking about the money mindset, I always find it fascinating and refreshing when somebody who is in the financial industry and deals with money where it seems like all we would focus on is the analytical side and the financial side you make a point to dig into the money mindset and address those emotions. And again, with the book, uh, when I talk about the Compassionate Curiosity Framework, the first thing that we do is we address the emotions of the parties involved because those are the things that will be the drivers of the decision-making process. And a lot of people who are very technical or analytical, they struggle to persuade because they lead with the right answer, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's frustrating yes. for them because they're like, monetarily, financially, this is what you should do. It's the right thing <laughs> to yes. do, um, yeah. but it's, uh, the human mind is complex, and emotions play a significant role. In fact, the majority of times, people will come to conclusions with their emotions and then subsequently justify it with logic because emotions get first shot at interpretation of new situations and that's why a lot of times when somebody says something they come to a conclusion that then you ask them to justify it the things that they say just don't make any sense <laughs> because exactly. that's the direction of the decision-making process emotions first and then try to cover your tracks with the logic
1: yes and i've seen both i've seen both i mean i will say the money mindset identifying the emotions works but for, for the most part you know clients come to me i have had some clients that were just you know some clients do just want to throw money at the situation expect me to be a magician so you do You have to be in a, the right mindset to be willing to make change to some clients or some people are you know still in the self-sabotaging mode so the stuff that we're going to talk in the money mindsets i will say for 95 percent of my clients it does work there's the five percent though who have more work they need to do on themselves and their situation before they're going to be ready to take control of their finances and right. those are the ones that i do like graciously part ways with though <laughs> i don't try and i don't try and will them into it those are the ones where i just say you know go on your way and come back when you are in different place or a better place to take action.
0: And that's a critical point because negotiation isn't the art of deal making. It's the art of deal discovery. And if we think about it as deal making, we might force ourselves and pressure ourselves to create a deal where one really doesn't exist. And like you said, even though you're an entrepreneur, you have a successful business and more clients typically means more money, you recognize that sometimes the relationship just, it simply doesn't work. And through this process, you were going through the process of deal discovery. You were learning about each other, getting all this information. And then at the end, you recognize there's no deal and that is completely okay. That's still a successful negotiation. Exactly.
1: Exactly. But yes, the money mindset comes up, and that's basically what stays throughout, <laughs> the, throughout our work together in terms of negotiating changes. And there's obviously like the specific actions we take in terms of investor money here, open these accounts, do these things. But with the clientele that I work with, I, like I said, it's a lot of what, like thirty, forty-something like women who, um, the high, you know, just successful, breadwinning women, entrepreneurial women. So from what I have found, there's a lot of anxiety and number one barrier typically is like, there's never going to be enough. Like a lot of the clients, like the, the issue that I say, I have a lot of my clients are, are very similar as well. Like I always joke that the high anxiety women come my way and there's, it's the mindset <laughs> they could be bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars for their business, but there's still like this fear that they're not doing something right or that they're not going to have enough. And so it's, it's talking, but it's a lot of like, do the strategy and yes, you will be okay. Or yes, you are okay. And just know like we're doing these things so that you will be okay or there is a lot of emotions involved and a lot of people just want to be told they're on the right track or they're doing the right thing so they're basically say, I'll be your cheerleader. I'm tough love. I'll tell you, you know, I'll cheerlead you on, but I'm gonna tell you if you're screwing something up. (laughs) So With your finances, there is not, unfortunately, there's not that we make the deal. Like we lay out the plan. Here's the framework. Here's the things we're going to do when the financial plan is set. But even when we do these things, by the time they're all implemented, your life is going to have changed and we're going to add new items to the list very likely. It's just, it's an evolution. It's an ongoing process. And that's where the money mindset and the persuasion It's a with financial planning. It's a constant persuasion. If I am your advisor, it's a constant like, here's what you should do and why. Like, every six months we're checking in, like, it's a constant conversation of, like, here's why you need to do what's happening next. And, and you know, sometimes it is negotiation because I can tell them what the numbers say, but I also know there's a happiness factor involved. And so I'm not going to say make yourself miserable to save $20,000 if we know that you can at least save fifteen and still enjoy yourself a little bit. Like, there's got to be a balance because... Just like, you know, when people crash diet, the likelihood of sustaining that is slim. So it's working on the mindset, letting people get comfortable, easing into things. And that's the persuasion with your money. People were measuring, I measure my client's net worth growth every six months. So we started out in a financial plan and that's like the number, like what, I say, we check in on it every six months to make sure it's going the right direction. And that, the clients that I've had for three, four or five years that's where we see the real progress. I mean, I've seen hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt paid off, like networks have doubled. Like you just see like different things with different people. And that's like, when they see that, that's what tackles like a the mindset. They can start to, they have the tools in their toolbox then to like, kind of like counteract their own money mindset, right? They can look back and there's actual physical proof of the work they've done. The numbers tell them and show them the work they've done. And so even when that voice comes in of I'll never have enough, I'll never be enough, I won't earn enough, I don't deserve these things, they look back and see the work they've done and it still feels good. And so that's part of like the process is that they have these things that can look back on and I can cheerlead them on and celebrate with them. But they also learn to do that for themselves as well.
0: That's brilliant. This is incredible. Yeah, thank, I tell you, again, like I said, when we were not recording, it's always great talking to another podcaster because it's like the interview runs itself. Yeah. <laughs> this was great. Thank you so much. If you could give an action item for our listeners here of one thing that they could do to be more persuasive within the next week, what would it be?
1: One thing to be more persuasive within the next week I would say identify what barriers you could break down. I mean, I think that was the most immediate thing. How can you make it easier for people to communicate with you, access you, to reach out to you? Whatever you can do to streamline any processes, that is like the number one tool for persuasion. Make it easy. Make it easier for other people. I think that's the best thing that you can do to get started. And the most impactful across the broad scale. That's going to be the most impactful thing on a big picture scale. That's
0: perfect. Well, good deal. Thank you so much. And before you go, can you tell the audience again about your book and the podcast and how they can get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Yeah. The company is Workable Wealth. That's the financial planning company. And my podcast and book are both called Work Your Wealth. And that's where we talk about money, finances, all of that fun stuff. And you can find me at workable, Marybeth at com, or I am on Twitter and Instagram at Mary B Storage, S-T-O-R-J. And we have a Facebook page as well. All of the social media things.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Thanks again for coming on the show, Mary Beth. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Tommy.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.